it felt tremendously important especially when you have the coaching staff that will be reaching out to you because you feel part of a project you feel important you didn't feel like oh you're just some youngster that is just with youthful exuberance in a sense you felt like you're part of the project when the assistant coaches or the, the head coach was reaching out to you some of the players have been quite straightforward about it saying that they want to play for Jamaica some would reach out to me whether it be through Instagram or through Twitter some of them needed a bit a bit of convincing some of them still a bit on the fence one of them in Isaac Hayden at Newcastle United he still has these ambitions of, of representing England it seems like there's no fear towards going to for English Premier League players now, the Mikel Antonios of this world in particular, and other names in particular that that are on the radar as well, which I'm sure we'll get on quite shortly. I think the getting Mikel Antonio has been a real coup so far, getting a player of his calibre, and that has, has caused a big rave, not only in Jamaica, but also in England. Never neglect every day. Every day is another opportunity, whether that means that you're doing your, your errands on the road or you might be just mingling with people. You never know who might be part of your life moving forward. So just continue to be friendly with them as much as possible. And you never know who can be part of your life because life, as we can see at times, is can be quite unpredictable. So be quite frank with you, I never thought of coaching as an avenue. Is it something that I would consider? It's something I would consider, but to be quite frank with you, if there's something I would uh, consider long term, I know the Scottish FA is doing a level three uh, scouting uh, degree. That would be something that I would be considering. It will, of course, start from level one first, but definitely the scouting work is, is definitely something that I would have a bit more passion in. <laughs> it's massive. It's The opportunities are truly endless of what it could do. When Jamaica qualified in 1998, you know, Jamaica was literally at a standstill. Our crime literally went down to zero from being the third or the fourth most uh, volatile country in the world to be absolutely zero in that period of time in 1997. So that's the power that it can have. And it's no surprise that sports can have that sort of effect. When the Olympics come around every four years, it's the same thing as well. When Usain Bolt at the World Championships, it's the same sort of effects. So athletics, football and cricket have been those sort of lifelines for Jamaica in a sense of uniting the country, putting down the weapons, putting down the ammunitions. That's the sort of lift that they can have. Hello and welcome to the KS Podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. Podcasts are a very big passion of mine. Um, I'm inspired by podcasts such as the True Geordie Podcast and most recently the High Performance Podcasts. And that's why I've started my own. Um, this is going to be the home of stories of people where I interview guests from various different uh, walks of life and I really try to find out what makes them tick and how their experiences and their learnings in life have shaped the people that they are and how that then plays a part in what makes them in their own fields in a very relatable way to me and you watching at home elite and how that brings them success and I hope you do enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy the podcast that I've been inspired by so whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify, Anchor or any other podcast platform, please do support by subscribing, following, liking, definitely sharing and of course comment below because your feedback is always appreciated. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you later. Hi everyone and welcome back to the KS Podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. Uh, this is episode five, so 
for joining us for a previous episode. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for supporting the podcast so far. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, please continue to support us uh, using the, the comments with feedback, liking, sharing, and subscribing and following the podcast, all that jazz. Um, on today's episode, it's a good episode today. I've got a good friend of mine who is probably my number one source for any anything to do with Jamaica, and he's always telling me to come over, and one day I hopefully will get to go over. It's Simon Preston. Simon, thank you for joining us today, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, keep up the great work you're doing with the podcast. It's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thanks for having me. No, good to have you. Good to have you. Um, before we start, um, I just thought I'd ask how how is the situation in Jamaica because I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah, a bit challenging right now, especially with COVID cases have gone up and there's a bit of hesitancy on the island in terms of persons to to get vaccinated. So under a bit of lockdown right now. The lockdown ends in September 5. So the hope is that persons can be able to go out and get vaccinated because we, we saw what happened at the Euros, didn't we? December in England last year was like all doom and gloom, but we saw the European Championship final where 90,000 fans or more really. So if we could get vaccinated for the World Cup qualifiers, hopefully we can get some fans really. So it's it's difficult right now, but fans are really hoping and, and Jamaicans are really hoping that sports could be that lift really for the entire population of for happiness. No, so that, uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, it's always a difficult thing, isn't it, with these vaccines to, to, to try and get people to do it, but hopefully things pick up very soon for you. Um, so diving into our podcast then, the first question I ask all my guests is, what is the earliest memory of, of what you do now? So the earliest memory so that I have... Broadcasting and sport is the first memory. <laughs> the earliest memory that I have in terms of what I do right now, I would say it was 2006. I was about 12 years old at the time. It was the 2006 FIFA World Cup, which was, of course, hosted in Germany. And I was part of the, the panel on, on a radio station called KLES Sports Radio. And in a sense, basically, I was just one of the pundits on the panel with experienced veterans, former national players, former coaches. And that was my first really experience of being in a panel and speaking about the game that I love, football. And it was, I would say, from that time, it's something that I enjoyed and growing up, it's something that I thrived in doing. I'd always walk around with a book with me with information and figures and statistics. But I wouldn't say that I would say, yes, this was definitely something I wanted to do with my career until around 2010 thereabouts. But from that age at 12 in 2006, that's when I really knew exactly that this is something that I enjoy really. But I never thought at that time that it would end up being a career path. Oh, that's interesting. And I think the important place to start with any story is at the beginning. So tell me about your upbringing and, and, and how that works, your background. Yeah, so obviously born and raised in Jamaica in, in St. Andrew, which is basically close to the capital city, born to a father of English heritage, mother of, of Indian heritage, two countries that played a significant part in, in building up Jamaica. The Indians, of course, came to Jamaica as indentured laborers in the, the 18th, uh, 1840s, thereabouts. The English have been here since the, the 17th century, and they played an important role. And uh, my, gra my grandparents on the English side played a role in, in the agriculture sense and, and on the Indian side as well. And I would say the two cultures really have never been, it's never been a rift by any means. I think I've embraced both sides of the family, really, the, the food, the music, the the cricketing side on the Indian side of things, the football, the rugby league on my dad's side. So it's definitely something that I, that I embraced very much. So in terms of other parts of my upbringing, I have five siblings, three brothers and, and two sisters. I'm the youngest of all of them. So that's just a little bit about how I was raised in that sense. I did play a little bit of football, not only for my school, but also for, for my university as well, the University of the West Indies. 
but I never thought that I never thought about professional football as an avenue. I wouldn't say that I dreamed of being a professional football player. Of course, when you're in your room, you you want to be the next David Beckham. You want to be the next Wayne Rooney, really. But but I really enjoyed the analysis, the punditry side of things. That's something I really enjoyed, and I'm just delighted, really, that it's something that has taken me into a career path. Yeah, and, and when, when you're talking about your family there, I noticed that you've got sort of a multicultural background within it. So you've got your, your dad's side is English, you've got your mum's side is Indian, you're born in Jamaica, so there's a, a best of both worlds. Yeah. What's going on there? But you also said that there's a sporting influence as well. Um, is that sort of what got you towards that area? So my, my dad, he, he both mom and dad were athletes in a sense. My dad did uh, shot puts and discus in the athletics. My mom was a netball player as well, a, a wing attack. So they both were athletic individuals. Also one of my brothers played cricket for his school as well. So I would say a fairly sporting family in, in that sort of sense. I wouldn't say they were the influencers in that sense. I would say more so one of my brothers, he introduced me to the game of football in the sense and taught me the rules and everything and what would take me to games to watch. And that's why I would say he was been the influence in, in terms of loving football because of all the sports that I watched and, and liked growing up, football would be like the top of it really. So I would say he played that important role, but I wouldn't say my parents played a role in, in getting me involved into sports. I would just more say that one of my siblings was was important in me learning the game because before liking football at six, seven, eight, I was more soon as I learned more about the game of football, I was really hooked on it, really. No, that's, that's I mean, fair enough. It's, it's the beautiful game after all. Um, in terms of how you got into what you're doing now, where did that start? Where did that ladder start for you? Because I know there was an incident with the, um, the quiz show. Tell, tell us about that. Yes. The quiz show was definitely the, the starting point in terms of opening what it is a, a career for, for me right now. There was I was in year 10 in secondary school and there was a, a quiz show where you it's a football quiz show. And there was looking for contestants all across the island, really, both boys and girls. And it came down to 16 contestants. I was one of them and I turned out to, to be the winner of it, really. So it was basically a football quiz show testing your knowledge on football trivia in terms of the World Cup from 1930 to 2006. And I turned out to be the winner of that competition. And the winner got the right to be a pundit for the 2010 World Cup alongside senior veteran experience in like Leroy Rosinia, amongst many other former national players of Jamaica and also administrators. So I would say that was a starting point for me in that sense of being able to network with people and be able to open my door. And I guess from that sense, when they started to hear what I was saying, the Jamaican FA reached out to me to to really get help in terms of reaching out to players in England who have Jamaican heritage, who that we could perhaps get for, for the World Cup qualifiers. And I would say to this day, I've uh, assisted in that regard. And it's something that I, that I really enjoy because I feel at the end of the day, you need to get your best team on the field. So I would say that quiz show was essentially what has opened the door, what has been a, a career path for me now for the last 11 years. Interesting. And, and I think there's an important message there because what got the opportunity to go into that punditry and you, you gain those contacts. How important was networking there? Because people who are watching this podcast will be in a situation where they have to do it on a daily basis. So do you have any advice for them in that sense? 
Yeah, I would say that never neglect every day. Every day is another opportunity, whether that means that you're doing your, your errands on the road or you might be just mingling with people. You never know who might be part of your life moving forward. So just continue to be friendly with them as much as possible. And you never know who can be part of your life because life, as we can see at times, is, can be quite unpredictable. So just do your best at your craft and you never know how things might fall into place for you, really. So I would just encourage those individuals to to be able to follow in that sort of vein and footstep. If you can get business cards of yourself, great, because opportunities will certainly come your way and definitely you as a young person and others will certainly have a, a bright path ahead of you. That's it's an important message, isn't it? That's, that's the kind of thing this podcast for. Um, so once you once you put your foot in the door, then you've you now entered a sort of almost scouting environment. What was that like for you? It was quite surreal, really, because it was an atmosphere that I haven't been part of. Of course, in past, I would, I would collect data and everything like that. But to be in a process where you have to ensure that it is gathered correctly to put it in a, in a scenario where the coaching staff, the administrators can understand it, because, as you know, with data, you have whole, a lot of different aspects, not only goals and assists, XG. It really, really can go to the finest of details. So the important thing is to get the information that you know can make an impact to aid with the opposition and players and be able to get figures that, for example, when you're scouting a defender, it's not only about how much clean sheets they may have because the goalkeeper plays a massive role where that is concerned. What is his pass completion like in addition to the, the tackles that he makes? Does he get a lot of yellow cards? So these are the sort of data that a lot of coaching staff members are want to look at when it comes to a central defender in particular. And those are the reasons why in when my first sort of player that I called up was uh, Adrian Mariapa, who was at Watford at the time, and Naira Nosworthy uh, at Sunderland. So those were key in ingredients in terms of scouting defenders in that particular period of time. So it's very specific for different positions. So that's something that I had to learn moving forward. It's not all about goals, assists, clean sheets. It's a little bit deeper than that, especially what you can do on the ball. Did you have? Did you always have that eye for detail and, and eye for finding what's relevant and being precise? Or was that something you had to pick up as you went along? To be quite frank with you, I would say it's something that I had to pick up as time progresses. It was quite of a learning curve from that perspective, and especially with balancing uh, schoolwork at that time, going into year 11, going into IGCSEs, and then A-levels after that. It really, really took some time management. But I had the right persons around me, I would say, at the Jamaican Affair that told me exactly what exactly they were looking for. So they made the job a little bit easier. OK, we need a centre half, we need a holding midfielder. And you know exactly what to look out for heading into what lies ahead. And you have an eye for the opposition as well. OK, the opposition is a diminutive team, so we're going to need somebody that has a physically imposing presence. So it made the job easier from that perspective. So it's good when you have that right persons around you and they play the massive difference at the end of the day. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned there that the, the time management thing and, and being involved in such a such a big operation almost at a very young age. How challenging was it? <laughs> it really was challenging. To, yeah, it was really, really challenging to be quite frank with you because uh, you'd finish school, you'd start school at half seven and finish around quarter past three. And then after that, to go into the duties of the Jamaican FA, plus you have homework to do, plus you're training in terms of when I was playing for my secondary school at the time so it really really took a lot of time management from that is uh, concerned so sometimes if it means immediately after school that's when I would get my homework done if necessary and ensure that I would have the rest of the afternoon and evening to focus on the duties ahead for World Cup qualifying and other aspects of my career slash job at the time uh, at 16 17 
And I wouldn't say it was easy at all so because at that period of time, I also my, my dad passed away. So it was just me and my mum and I had to provide support to her as well. So it wasn't easy, but one day at a time, that's how I took things really. And that's why I could say that, you know, adversity that we face in life or challenges, they're temporarily temporary. So I would give any advice to any young person really that the best is yet to come really. So just be positive because what you, your, your thoughts become your reality. So that's why I've always preached a positive sort of message in that aspect. Yeah, and especially that when you talk about adversity and, and, and dealing with all of those things. So, I mean, I was going to touch on the fact that, you know, the time management thing. So uh, I'll ask that first. How, how, do you, how do you time manage effectively? Because a lot of people want to be able to do that, but they sometimes struggle. Well, how did you manage it? You know, I think for everybody, it's going to be different in terms of their specific circumstance. But a system that I used that helped me was the proper planning in terms of the week. I knew exactly what lied ahead. So you get your pen, your paper or pencil out and be able to map out, map out exactly, you know, when school finishes or, you know, when your, your work finishes. And then, you know, the time frame that you have for the rest of the day to carry out your duties. I knew for, for a fact that meetings with the Jamaican FA were in the afternoon, half five, half six. So I knew that that time that I had from half three when I finished class to half five, half six, uh, two, three hour window, I could be able to get through my homework during that period of time. And then when I'm finished that JFF or Jamaican FA meeting, that's when I would have that opportunity to whether revise for a test or an exam or to be able to, to conduct the, the scouting on, on some games that might have been happening. And what's funny is that Jamaica, as you know, is six hours behind England. So usually when school is finished at half three, thereabouts, that's when it's usually kickoff for like a Champions League or a League Cup game or an FA Cup game. So it would be perfect timing from that perspective. So when you're doing your, your homework, you'll just be checking your score on, on the phone and be saying, OK, so so-and-so so just scored today. Daniel scored, scored, scored today and be able to monitor the data and, and what was happening and being able to send over to the, to the GFF. So. A lot of multitasking was required, but what advice I would give to anyone is to don't compare yourself to other persons because comparison is like the rob or the theft of joy. Everyone's scenario, everyone's journey is different. It's about you to analyze exactly where exactly you want to go. If you know exactly where you want to go, then you'll definitely make the necessary sacrifices and effort that you need to get where you need to be. Love that. That's a message I always preach as well. I think that's a, that's a really important one. And um, I think another important challenge that I think we need to discuss is obviously the passing away of your father and, and sort of you took on that responsibility to, to help your mother in that situation. What was that like for you? And, and mentally, how difficult was that? Yeah, it was challenging because he, he passed away in July 2011. So that was roughly 10 years ago uh, and a month, basically. And I was just about to start sixth form, really, a different chapter of, of secondary school, really, and being able to get into the, the, the different regiment of sixth form versus the lower school. So it was difficult, especially the first couple of months, really, because it was just my mom and I. My mom wasn't really working at the time. I was basically just the priority, really, at 17 years of age. So challenging because you... You're losing someone that was, uh, I would say, a key component in my life. My mother has been that for my entire life, but my father, definitely someone that I've basically seen my entire life because I, I grew up in a nuclear family, my, my mother and my father and myself and my siblings. So it was difficult to take in. Of course, uh, I was, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress as well. I'm, I'm thinking my brain, you know, it, will this affect my career path? Will I, will I have to seek another employment? You know, thankfully, I would say that things worked out and, and got the necessary support I needed, especially from the Jamaican FA to, to be able to grieve 
in that sense for, for that period of time. And I'm grateful that they took me on, on board uh, permanently, especially during that period of time while going to, to school as well. So I was able to be able to get a stipend as well as going to school. So I think that they played a massive role in that sort of development. And the president of the Jamaican affair at the time was, was a real legend. So I'm really happy that that played an important role. Of course, it's it's not something, it's not a feeling that disappears. Of course, there might be moments that might you know, come back and come back and you might think about and dwell on certain things. But I would say that it's an experience that strengthened me mentally and helped me to be a bit more independent because I went to a private school in Jamaica. And of course, you there is that stigma that you have parents that can be able to afford this and afford that for you. I would say that I grew up quite sheltered, comfortable to a certain extent as well. So I think this sort of experience helped me to be a bit more independent and helped me saw the value of hard work a bit more. So while I still I still wish I had my father around, I still think that it's an experience that made me a stronger human being. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure he'd be proud of, of what you've achieved so far anyway. Um, so uh, it's important that we discuss now the next bit of, in terms of that scouting project. Number one, that's, that's a big responsibility. Did you feel that responsibility and almost a pride when you were when you were doing that sort of thing? It felt tremendously important, especially when you have the coaching staff that will be reaching out to you because you feel part of a project. You feel important. You didn't feel like, oh, you're just some youngster that is just with youthful exuberance in a sense you felt like you're part of the project when the assistant coaches or the, the head coach was reaching out to you back in the days black bear messenger was quite popular wasn't it so that was like the form of communication moving forward and it felt like part of that project i still think that in that sense that i i enjoyed it and it's something to this very day that i enjoyed i still think that if there's an area that could be improved on moving forward is being able to be a bit more organized. It's a feel though that we, we reach out to players only when it comes to the World Cup qualifying cycle. But what about after a World Cup? Why not in the gap years in between to get the team to be able to gel and have cohesion? For me, that would give the players an opportunity more instead of giving Mikel Antonio his debut in a World Cup qualifier. So for me, moving forward, it would be a scenario where you have players involved from early to give them the time to gel in and have that chemistry with the rest of the squad. So that would be my steps moving forward instead of just throwing them really in the heat of the battle. Yeah, and, and the reason I brought up this whole concept is because I think this is a, a pretty important time for maybe not just the, the Jamaican football team, but the Jamaican sport in general, because, of course, they're always recruiting. They're always trying you know, better their team. But I feel like of late, that recruitment's really kicked up a notch. Um, I know we discussed this on a podcast previously on my old channel, Um but just tell me about how that sort of kick started because it looks like they've set their targets on on that next World Cup and they're thinking, yeah, that's the target and we're going to go be ready for that. Yeah, you're right. I would say in previous cycles, there's been more of a drive towards those championship League One players, but it seems like there's no fear towards going for English Premier League players now, the Mikel Antonios of this world in particular and other names in particular that, that are on the radar as well, which I'm sure we'll get on quite shortly. I think... The getting Mikel Antonio has been a real coup so far, getting a player of his calibre, and that has, has caused a big rave, not only in Jamaica, but also in England as well, that Jamaica has now has the ability to get players in the Premier League, not Championship, not League One, but actually in the top tier of English football, because attempts have been made in the past for Raheem Sterling, Calvin Phillips, Daniel Sturridge, amongst many, many others, but they have decided to, to, to play for England, of, of course. A lot of influence either through Gareth Southgate, 
or through their agent in the past. But it seems with Antonio, after years and years of trying, finally he, he's given in to some extent after seeing the depth of, of English uh, pool for, for the forwards and strikers. So the island is really happy about it. And there could be many, many more names to come. And, you know, there's still a couple at Manchester United that I think that we could you know, have moving forward. Yes, some from the academy, but still players that I think could inject more life and a bit more quality into the national setup. Yeah, and, and I think the, the point that you made there about you know, Antonio singing and sort of almost giving the country a boost, I, th I felt like that was a big moment, but I feel like what kicked it all off was maybe the, the profile of a player that Leon Bailey, when he chose to, 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 to represent Jamaica rather than England, I thought that's a big moment there because that is an up and young coming player where he could have said, you know, I've got time on my hands. I'll try and get into this England setup. But he thought, no, I'll go represent Jamaica. And, and I thought that's all it's going to take. A couple more of those, a, a Leon Bailey, a, a Mikel Antonio, another couple of players. And that way, other players are looking at that and going, I'm going to they're building a side here. Do, do you feel that sort of... Um, you know, sense of expectation among the country that we're building something and it's, and it's working. It's exactly that. In those words, exactly. You hit the nail on the head because we've been missing players who have been committed. That's been massive in the, in the past, committed to the national programme. We've reached out to players in the past who have been played in the Premier League, but they've said, OK, I'm not going to come to Jamaica unless you get me a first class ticket. I'm not going to come unless you do this or do that for me. So that sort of mindset amongst players who have played in the Premier League in the past, that sort of prima donna sort of mindset. But now there seems to be a couple that have been raising their hand and say, OK, they're willing to come on board. So once you have a, just a few more pieces to the puzzle, then I think there is a genuine, genuine chance. You have James Justin at Leicester City, who was on our radar as well. If he's in the mix, then there's another genuine chance there. Nathan Redmond, Southampton, he could be in the mix as well. Ethan Laird is still on the list, although he's on loan at Swansea City. Just a few more pieces to the puzzle, I feel, and there will be a genuine chance to get to Qatar for next year, to be quite frank with you. And in terms of, obviously, we're not, we don't want to just focus on the football aspect. What do you think that could do for the country in general? Because like you said, sports is almost the, the pride and joy of that nation. So what do you think that could do where if, if the country saw their team at a World Cup. What could that do for the nation? <laughs> it's massive. It's The opportunities are truly endless of what it could do. When Jamaica qualified in 1998, you know, Jamaica was literally at a standstill. Our crime literally went down to zero from being the third or the fourth most uh, volatile country in the world to be absolutely zero in that period of time in 1997. So that's the power that it can have. And it's no surprise that sports can have that sort of effect. When the Olympics come around every four years, it's the same thing as well. When you say bolt at the World Championships, it's the same sort of effects. So athletics, football and cricket have been those sort of lifelines for Jamaica in a sense of uniting the country, putting down the weapons, putting down the ammunitions. That's the sort of lift that it can have. And if Jamaica even goes and wins a game at the World Cup, then it could have an impact for many, many more years to come because of the, the FIFA grants money that will come into the national program, roughly 8 million quid thereabouts. I could set the program for another decade, really, getting 3G pitches, being able to invest into the next set of players in the grassroots developments, the women's game. So that's why qualification is just so vital for 2022. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of it in terms of the funding and the grants, because um, the, the next question I was going to ask was, in your time where you've covered you know, the, the nation's the nation's sport, the nation's football. 
What was the main challenges you saw um, in that time in terms of why these players weren't really up for it or why the, the, it's not progressed as much as it potentially could? Uh, a number of reasons, really. One has been administration because of the, the promises that they've made to players but haven't been able to to keep it. And that's in relation to match fees, remuneration. That They've been promised certain fees, they've signed contracts, but the Jamaican FA haven't been able to live up to their end of the bargain, really. And they've paid players late, got their per diems late. And in terms of the their travel and accommodation, it has been subpar. So there's been a bit of apathy. So that has been letting down from the Jamaican FA's perspective. And another reason why fans you know, have been a bit dissuaded really is the, the disorganization really of the Jamaican FA in terms of calling up players at this late stage. So like I said, Antonio is going to make his debut against Mexico in a World Cup qualifier. Not a friendly match to give him an opportunity to bed into the squad. He's just going to fly into Mexico, two training sessions and then take the field really. I'm still a, a bit miffed about it. So it, it's difficult and I understand that the time is limited and I understand it is COVID, but there were certainly opportunities for him to get into the mix, get a Jamaican passport so that he can be able to gel in with the squad. So those two areas have been significant and have been significant reasons why Jamaica isn't progressing further as they should do. Because if you look at the quality, it's there. And, and you all know the story already for, for a year now about Winrush generation. They're, there are millions of Jamaicans in England, 1.1 million Jamaicans in England. So until around the 2040 cycle, thereabouts, there's going to be loads of English-born players of Jamaican heritage in the Premier League. So there's a conveyor belt of talent. So that will be a constant supply for a couple of more decades to come. Yeah, and I think the key part of getting that talent is will be building the squad now. And, and that's going to set a, a precedent almost going forward. Um so back to yourself, you mentioned you were directly involved sometimes in, in helping players come and make that transition and, and sort of make that decision. Tell us about some of those players and, and, and some of the discussions you had. Some of the players have been quite straightforward about it, saying that they want to play for Jamaica. Some would reach out to me, whether it be through Instagram or through Twitter. Some of them needed a bit, a bit of convincing. Some of them still a bit on the fence. One of them in Isaac Hayden at Newcastle United, he still has these ambitions of, of representing England. I say, come on, mate, there's Declan Wright, there's Calvin Phillips. Really? He says, yes, give me until September and I'll get back to you. I'm like, all right, no problem. <laughs> and then you have other players that would just reach out to you and, and say, look, what do I need to do to represent Jamaica? And you just let them know the process about the Jamaican passport. So you need to get your parents or grandparents birth certificates. And from there, it's all systems go. For some players, they need a bit more help. In, in getting that information. But I would say in terms of starting the process with some of these players, they're like normal lads like you and I in just in terms of conversation, hi, how are you doing? Not stuck up by any means. They don't feel like they're bigger or better than anyone. It's just simple, decent lads that, that make their living playing football. So I would say the discussions in that aspect have been quite good. Some of them, that they reach out to you to check up, do you know if I've got my Jamaican passport as yet? So quite decent, decent individuals. Some have been difficult to get, especially those that feel that they have an, a chance to, to represent England, the Lewis Bakers of this world, the Isaac Haydens, etc. But uh, you, what you'll find is that if Jamaica qualifies for the World Cup, you'll start to see the likes of him and, and others and Ivan Tony start to raise their hand and say they want to play. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I just find it incredible how you told me that you told Decaded, come on, mate, you've got Declan Rice up there. What are you thinking? Come on, play for Jamaica. How do, you, how do you approach those discussions? Do you feel like sometimes you have to, you know, 
you know, you hear these stories about managers and, and how they have to change the way they speak to certain players. Do you, do you ever have to have that conversation with yourself and go, okay, this guy is this kind of character. He's going to respond in this way. How did you approach those discussions? Yeah, with every player, it's different. Some are very formal and just make sure they cross all the T's and dot all the I's and subject verb agreement is, is accurate for them. And you have some players are a bit more laid back. They use the, the lingo, the English lingo quite well. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I know a little bit of it. So for some players, you just have to know their whereabouts, how they are. Some are more the phone call sort of person. Some are more the text sort of persons. So it takes a couple of conversations to know who they are. And they'll also let you know from the get-go. What I'm grateful for is that they're not persons that will just read without not responding so you get back to them or they get back to you in a in a decent time frame whether it be a couple of days or tops a couple of weeks even if it's via email so i like that from that perspective it is quite clear and concise and the hope is though that they are committed towards the program when they get that opportunity and get that jamaican passport to represent the country and how did you sort of establish that credibility where they can they can because you have to make yourself, you know, almost be taken seriously. How did you establish that position with them and go, look, this I'm the guy for you to speak to? I guess it all started with with the first guy, with the first sort of contact, really. Adrian Mariapa, who's absolutely brilliant lad, uh, when he was at Watford at the time, and I say that I would think that he has been critical in that component to let know the the fellow English-born players of Jamaican heritage that I'm the guy for the information, and if they want to come on board, then. I play a, a role in that process so they can reach out to me when it comes to that. So the likes of Adrian Mariapa, Joby McEnough at Reading at the time, Gareth McLeary, amongst a few others, Jermaine Beckford, unfortunately, leads. So, yeah, I would say that sort of quartet, quintet was, was a first set. And of course, they would know other players within the, the Premier League and the championship. And that's where I would say the conversation sort of happened. They might get my, my contact info from them or I might get it from, from Mariapa and company. And I'd say network and people talk really. So I would say from there, the network has started to, to grow. Of course, there's still others to, to get in terms of the Premier League ranks, but I would say it's a decent list so far. That's, that's pretty good. And uh, in terms of going forward, then if, if, this, if this is information you could give us, um, is there any players that you're currently speaking to now that are, that are showing interest or you're trying to get to show interest? What can you give us on that? Well, since since we're both United fans, I could tell you that there's a player in the under-18s that has been doing quite well. His name is Malachi Sharp. He's like a, a forward slash right winger. We bought him from Derby a, in June thereabouts, impressed quite well. And he's, he's shown interest to represent Jamaica, born in England to Jamaican parents. So he could be in our under-21s team quite shortly. But he says his focus right now is United, and we can completely understand that. Let him grow in the first team, get into the 23s. And we'll see how things happen from him because he's just getting into the mix of playing consistent games. He wasn't getting a lot of games at Derby, but now at United playing twice a week thereabouts. That would really help. In terms of other players, Lewis Baker at Chelsea, that those will be the senior team now for, for, for the reggae boys of, of Jamaica. Lewis Baker, we've been trying to, to get involved into the mix. Um, Kevin Stewart, formerly of Liverpool, now playing at Hull City. He has his Jamaican passport and should be making his debut quite soon. Kemar Roof at Rangers. Michael Antonio, as you know, West Ham United. Jordan Cousins at Wigan Athletic. In terms of others from the Premier League, we're trying to get James Justin at Leicester. It's just about ensuring that get the contact information for him now. So that's the next step in the process for him. Reese Williams at Liverpool. Personally, I think that he has a bit more room to, to grow. But at 19, 20, making his, his name qu quite well. But he, those are just some of the names so far on the radar. The, the database is growing. 
but those are the names at this point in time that are on the, the radar. Interesting, very interesting. And as you mentioned, of course, for the for the United fans that are watching, Ethan Laird is, is another one that, that obviously you've been keeping tabs on, and I think pretty sure you'll be, you'll be getting in touch with him very soon because the boy's a star. Um, in terms of in terms of going forward, then what sort of projects are you involved with now? Are you still focusing on you know the scouting and and this project um, to get obviously to make into a World Cup? Or do you have other things on at the minute? Apart from that project, the other project in, is terms of the, the opposition analysis ahead of the World Cup qualifier. So uh, Jamaica will take on Mexico, Costa Rica and also Panama. So the first three games in September, September 2, September 5, September 8. And basically just break down the, the opposition, their strengths, their weaknesses. So Javier Hernandez, uh, Carlos Vela and company will be able to, to look at their sort of strengths and how they operate in the Mexican team versus how they operate for their clubs. So be able to, to break down that and the, the players can be able to get clear, concise information on what they can do and how they can act and if their first touch is off so that they can be able to adequately prepare because they're only going to have one or two training sessions prior to the game. So they'll be able to know exactly what to expect from uh, Chicharito, what to expect from Raul Jimenez at Wolves. So that is the other project that we're working on right now. It's interesting when I when I when I hear you speak about these things, and and obviously you've got your broadcasting side of things as well, which which we'll speak briefly about. Um, did your brain not feel more accustomed potentially to a coaching role? Because it seems like you've got that mind where you can recognize the talent and and, and almost. You've got the communication interpersonal skills as well there. Was that never an avenue for you? To be quite frank with you, I never thought of coaching as an avenue. Is it something that I would consider? It's something I would consider, but to be quite frank with you, if there's something I would uh, consider long-term, I know the Scottish FA is doing a level three uh, scouting uh, degree. That would be something that I would be considering. It will, of course, start from level one first, but definitely the scouting work is, is definitely something that I would have a bit more passion in. I'm not saying that, uh, that I'm shying away from the coaching perspective, but I do feel that you're going to need to definitely be thick-skinned for that sort of line of work and have a bit of room for improvement where that is concerned. So that's why I would say, I'm not saying no, but just not right now in, in terms of the, that aspect. But definitely the, the scouting aspect, gathering names, figures, data, that's something that I definitely thrive and enjoy. Okay, and, and we've spoken about that, the scouting aspect, and obviously that, that's something that I'm really interested in as well, because as a coach myself, the scouting aspect is something very interesting. Yeah. And potentially, if I get into your first point of call. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the broadcasting part, let's... Let's let's talk about that as well because um, how did how did the broadcast element come into all of this? Well, I could say you could say that the punditry is, is a form of broadcasting, so that would be the, my first sort of entry into towards that sort of industry. But in terms of the the atmosphere, in terms of getting involved, like presenting uh, a sports cast in that self, it, I would say that it started, a, you know, after leaving uni, really. Uh, upon leaving the University of West Indies and uh, entering television Jamaica and be, you'd have to do training in terms of voice and speech and also television broadcasting, learning how to use a prompter, learning how to, to, to speak in, in a certain way and being able not to, to jumble your words together and so on and so forth and being able to cut out certain enunciations and, 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 and cadency and so on and so forth. So there had to be a training process first. And it's it's something that I enjoy as well, although I do prefer the, the scouting aspect of things. I do enjoy the analysis. That is my, my real sort of passion. But in the same breath, I would say that I enjoy the 
the, the broadcasting aspect of, of presenting and television presenting. It's what I really love. We'll see what the future has in store from that aspect, but it pays the bill, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and in terms of that of that environment, what what have your experiences been in that sense, and what have you sort of picked up from there that you found useful? Yeah, so I've had that privilege in terms of commentating games on the islands. A lot of youth games, a lot of second division sorts of games. It's quite different in terms of the, the layout and, and how they, they do the cameras for certain games and aspects. But I've had to transition quickly because growing up into the industry, I was, it was more punditry. And now to be in that commentator hot seat, like a Jim Proudfoot or, or a Peter Jurin actually called up the actual play-by-play. It was a learning experience for me because you're actually speaking almost every word in a sense, almost every five seconds, especially, well, if it's television, you have a bit of break in between, but certainly going from that aspect to less analysis, less opinion, to, to be in that, that commentary perspective, to say Karthik is on the ball, to Simon, to instead of giving that opinion about how Karthik is doing on the ball and so on and so forth. So it was a period of transition for me, but I would say uh, with a period of 12 to 18 months, I was able to make that transition quite smoothly. So I've embraced that aspect, of course, during COVID, you know, football on the island is basically limited at this point in time, but uh, the, the commentary aspect is something that we've had to, I've had to grow in. And as you know, Jamaica is a small island of 3 million people, so it's not, not a lot of individuals. So I've had my, my foot a little bit into uh, track and field athletics commentary as well, and also a bit of cricket as well, but the bulk of my work has been in football in that sense. Yeah, and... Um... In that sense of, you know, you have to take your opinion out of it. How challenging was that for you? Because as we as we discussed, we found that your brain is tuned to to make an opinion of someone, to, to look at a player and go, okay, this is what you're good at, this is what you're not good at, this is where you can improve. How did you take that out? Was that so difficult for you to tune out? It was it was difficult, especially the first two to three months of the job, really. I would have to keep reminding myself before going on commentary, whether radio or television. Remember, it's not about you. It's, it's about calling for uh, the viewer, the listener, the listener that can't see it for radio. It's not about me, it's about them and being able to ensure what exactly is happening. The important thing is knowing who is on the ball, where is it, what is the time. So that is what my editor at the time, Patrick Anderson, told me. Always remember that. Who is on the ball, where is it on the field, and also what is the time and being able to ensure that that message is gotten across quite effectively. So I've used those three points effectively. And before every radio or television broadcast for a commentary, I've remind myself of those three points in particular. Yeah, and, um, you know, just just as we begin to wrap up the podcast, the last couple of questions and last few questions, um, what for you does Jamaica as a sporting nation, let's take that for, for now, what do you think it has to do to really progress? Because we see a lot of talent coming from there. We see a lot of people, and you know, you, may, you know, you see Usain Bolt. You see a lot of players of Jamaican descent um, over in England playing. What do you think Jamaica as a sporting nation needs to do to sort of up the levels and, and sort of really, really get there? Because it's there to do, but at the minute, it's just not possible. It, it's it's brilliant when you think about it, really, that an island of just a shade 
over 3 million people has accomplished so much. You know, the, the fastest man in the world in Usain Bolt, the best cricketer in Chris Gale, the fastest woman alive in Elaine Thompson. And of course, Leon Bailey is doing his thing right now and the most expensive Jamaican player, 30 odd million so far. So it, it's impressive from that perspective to see how much has been able to come out of the island. And we haven't even touched the, the diaspora and of course in the UK, the States and also Canada as well. So there is a lot of talent. In terms of going to the next level, Firstly, in terms of the, the communication between administration and also players, that's been significantly missing. Administrators have been faulty in terms of their communication with players, in terms of being able to get themselves to prepare proper training facilities, proper nutrition as well. And in addition to that, to basically live, live up to your word. If I promise you a, a tenner, I'm going to give you that tenner. Don't give me the fiver. You promised me a tenner. Just be honest with the players. Be honest in, in, in all of that, and you'd have a smoother transition. So the players have, don't have to be wondering on their mind, oh, I, I was owed this, but I haven't received it as yet. So that has been massive. From a footballing sense, the, the, the pitches, we don't have a lot of uh, 3G or first class sort of pitches, pitches on the island. There's probably only two, you could say, FIFA regulation pitches on the island. So that's been significant from that perspective. We need a little bit more so that there could be a Sartis' players made that transition from Jamaica to like the Eastern European leagues, but what's going to take us to have our players go to the championship or even a, a lower tier Premier League team, a Palace or a Watford or Norwich, that would be the next transition for Jamaicans. We've shown that we can compete and can co complete and try our trade overseas, but now to get the proper facilities, the better coaching, that could make Jamaica be perhaps even a top 25 ranked team in the FIFA rankings. Very interesting. Um, and finally, an, an, another one that I think is, is, is an important thing to touch on. Um, what advice do you have for people when they're working for, like, for example, when you're speaking to a player to try and get him to, to come and play for Jamaica, a player that's probably got a bigger profile than yourself, that's got a, a larger than life persona, how do you approach those and, and sort of not get starstruck or get nervous and sort of stick to your guns? How, how would you approach that? Well, I wouldn't say I was the the main person for Ravel Morrison, but certainly I, I had some communication with him and he was the, the one for me that I was like, okay, I have to be careful what I say here. How What do I say? How do I respond? Perhaps a little bit of overthinking. The important thing is to be phlegmatic. You have to keep your cool and calm because you have to know exactly what your your mission is. So you have to keep reminding yourself about how you're going to go through this objective in speaking with the person. What is the message that I want to put across? Is it encouragement? Am I providing any information? Or is it something that they haven't done that I have to tell them about quite tactfully? Is it constructive criticism? So it's about going across and knowing exactly what you have to say to them. And if you know exactly what you're going to say, then the conversation will flow naturally, especially from their perspective. If you get across what you need to say, it'd be nice and see what other tests lie ahead, what other players might come into the mix. So we'll see as time progresses. Could it be Damani Miller? Could it be Deshaun Bernard? We'll see, because those are the other players that perhaps I might be a little bit um, have butterflies with, but we'll see as time progresses because, of course, they're United players. But I'm sure there'll be others in the future that we'll have to try to convince or try to get across and tell them, hey, look, Gareth Southgate is not calling you. But how do we do that in a tactful way? Yeah, yeah. and in a respectful way as well because you don't want to say almost he doesn't care about you, but <laughs> you've got to also sort of, you know, promote yourselves a little bit. Um, yeah. No, honestly, it's, it's been brilliant to, to listen to that sort of thing. Um, Finally, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? I ask all my guests this, and they, they all give me different answers. Where do you see yourself between five and ten years' time? 
In another five years' time, I see myself in a similar position that I am right now, a, t a television presenter at Television Jamaica, and continuing on in, in that same sort of light. In terms of a 10-year project from now, that would take us towards a 2031 thereabouts. I see myself playing a deeper role within football, in a sense. If Hopefully, by that time, I'll be able to get my scouting qualifications and by then play a much deeper role where I would like to be based in England. I would like to be the persons that person comes to for a hub of information where you gather that database of players from the Premier League to down to Stretford Paddock in non-league of players that have Jamaican heritage. That would be my ideal goal so that we have a list. We know exactly what we're looking for. OK, Karthik, you need a player that can do very well as a wing back in a 3-5-2. I have that name for you right here or those names for you. And you go through that list of eight or ten and you pick your two or three from there on in. So I'd like to be that person that you can come to for data, names, talents. So that's where I'd see myself in another decade from now. Well, hopefully, um, if I ever do make it into the game where I need a chief scout, I know exactly who to go and call. Um, no, honestly, mate, it's been an uh, amazing story to listen to. I mean, not just your story, but also the story of the country. I think that's almost exciting to hear when you when when I've heard you talk about. I don't know about the, the viewers, but I felt excited listening to it. Um, I suppose a good question to ask could be, where do you see the country in five to ten years? What do you think it'll look like? Uh, that's an interesting one, really. Jamaica after COVID. <laughs> but uh, to be quite frank, I think 2026 World Cup is going to be the make or break for Jamaica's football because the World Cup is going to be held in America, Canada and also Mexico, which is literally Jamaica's backyard in a sense. So you're going to definitely see the Jamaican power, the Jamaican charisma, the Jamaican vibes in that World Cup in 2026. So I'd say look out for us in that World Cup in particular. That could be the World Cup where you could see Jamaica in a round of 16. That could be the World Cup where you actually see Jamaica go that deep into a competition. 2022, if we get there, I'll be absolutely made up over the moon, really. But 2026 is definitely where I would definitely say keep an eye on Jamaica. There's definitely something to, to look out for in, in that sense. The country as a whole, I, I think the infrastructure, the roads, I think things will improve. Cricketing-wise, perhaps another T20 World Cup from the West Indies point of view. We'll see Chris Gale retire on a high and be in the Hall of Fame for the ICC. But definitely, we'll definitely see more outstanding uh, athletics uh, runners. So that's something to keep an eye for. But from a football perspective, I would say 2026. That's definitely the World Cup to look out for. If that's the if there's a message to take from this podcast, which there have been several, but the big one has to keep tabs on Jamaica 2026. Uh, Simon, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and chat with me. Um, I heard that if this podcast gets uh, 20 likes on YouTube, he'll get someone to come on the, the podcast next. Yeah, I heard he'll get Rav, I heard he'll get Rav to come on. Yeah. I'm joking. So to be, to be honest, when I, when, I, when I put the flag up on, on Twitter today um, and I said, you know, I'm announcing it soon, someone guessed Ravel Morrison and I said, I wish that was possible. I wish. But hey, if he gets enough likes, maybe... Yeah, yeah, of course. Next time he's in Jamaica. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, and thank you, viewers, for, for watching and for, for listening. I'll drop Simon's socials in the description. Go follow him for everything for the Reggae Boys. Um, the, follow the dream. It, it is the Reggae Boys' dream. And it's one story that you want to follow because when it does happen, you want to you want to look at this podcast and go, I, I was there for the ride. So thank you for joining us. Make sure to like the video. Make sure to share and subscribe, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. And until next time, I shall see you in a bit. Thank you.